My name is John Smart. I'm one of the pastors here at Lighthouse. If, uh, if we have not met, I'd love to say hey to you out in the foyer after this. But as I say every time, our goal with this is not just to, with young adults in general, it's not just to um, create a place where there can be more content. I know we can get content anywhere, uh, Spotify, YouTube, wherever. It's not just that we want to ho host an event. Really what we want to do is create a community of people that follow Jesus together, talk about topics that resonate, things that we're dealing with. And so... Um, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you braved the weather. And um, this fall, fall's my favorite season. Any fall people? Okay, all right, all right. Any winter people? Okay, yeah, all right, easy. This is a safe, a safe season place. Um, I said you braved the weather. I love this weather. I love this type of weather. I know I'm like a psychopath in that regard, but anybody? A little cold, rainy, that's your jam, cup of coffee? Okay, all right, all right, that's fine, it's just me. Is, uh, is my table coming out by any chance? <laughs> I'm supposed to have a table out here. Anyway, um, so yeah, so glad that you're here, so glad you're able to make it. Let me pray for us, and uh, hopefully my table will be here so I don't have to hold all three of these things for the whole night, <laughs> start juggling. Jesus, thank you for... Um, those in this room, thank you for your faithfulness. We know that you had to be faithful just for us to be here. The fact that our hearts are beating and we can't control it, the fact that uh, you designed our body that we even barely understand it, and nevertheless, it's functioning. We're healthy enough to be here. There's a roof over our heads. There's a million things that we should be grateful for, and um, I, I tend to just take it all for granted. And so, Lord, would you be with us as we talk about a topic that's so important to so many in this room, and I know it's also important to you. I, play, I pray that you would bless this time. Fill us with your spirit. Help us leave here changed. Forge us into a community of people who love you and follow you. In your name, Jesus, amen. Okay, so, um, and God answered my prayer, and here's my table. Perfect, wow. Lord's working, you know. Um, <laughs> a few months ago, we did a survey uh, on our young adults. One of our nights, we said, we said follow that QR code. Uh, we're going to do a survey. And one of the questions was, what topic would you like most to hear about? And um, what would be the most helpful? What do you have the most questions about? And the top two were, number one was relationships, all right, so it's a young adults ministry, so obviously, and then number two was uh, mental health and specifically the idea of anxiety. Those were almost at the tide for first place, just anxiety and then relationships, and so we worked through a relationship series over the summer. Now, uh, tonight, we're diving into the idea of anxiety, and it's not in any way surprising that that is such a sort of a, a passion point or a need for so many in our culture, even so many in this room. Um, the American Psychiatric Association found in 2018, so this is 2018, this is pre-pandemic, 39% of Americans were more anxious than they were a year ago. That's 2018. Almost half Americans felt like, eh, I'm more anxious than I was. That's before we even got to 2020. In 2020, the greatest increase was in prescriptions for anti-anxiety medications, which rose 34% from February to March. So in one month, nationally, uh, prescriptions for anti-anxiety medication rose 34%. 2021, Pew Research found that a third of American adults report um, occasional sleeplessness or anxiety in the last week. So a third, 30% of the people in this room, 
uh, would just statistically say, yeah, I wrestled with anxiety or I wasn't able to sleep last week because of anxiety, because of some other issue. All that to say, if you look across our culture, um, anxiety is exploding. And I think that is disproportionately affecting young adults. I feel like that is not just sort of spread evenly. I'd say this generation, it's probably one of, if not the greatest, challenge facing our generation right now is the issue of how do I navigate anxiety? Why am I anxious? Where is this coming from? What does that look like? And so, um, just to be clear, I'm not a doctor. I know some of you were fooled, um, but uh, I'm not a doctor. Um, nevertheless, I have tried to learn as much as I, because this is such a relevant issue, I've tried to learn as much as I possibly can. I've tried to talk to as many people who are experts, glean from as many people who are experts as I can, so hopefully, so that as a community, we can begin to navigate an issue that I know just from conversations, just anecdotally talking to people in the church and talking to young adults, this is a real issue for many of our lives. I was just talking to someone in the foyer this morning at church out there, just stopped by and said, hey, how's it going? Broke down crying because they're racked with anxiety. And so it's, those aren't just statistics. Those are many of our lives in this room right now. And if it's not our life, uh, it's probably the lives of people that we're close to. I'm sure everybody in this room, if you're not affected by anxiety personally, I'm sure you know someone, love someone, close to someone who is. Um, and so I, I want to be practical and I want to be helpful but before we do that, let me just sort of lay out some big ideas. One is a definition. Um, when it comes to the definition, the difference between fear and anxiety, there's a little bit of overlap. Um, but fear tends to have sort of a specific cause. So if I'm coming at you, you know, with a knife, you're fearful in that moment. Anxiety tends to be more of an ill-defined just sort of dread. It's the feeling something bad is going to happen. Or it's just the sense, when I think about the future, I just feel completely overwhelmed. So that's a general description. Fear tends to be more specific. Anxiety tends to be more general. That doesn't hold up in every single situation. Not only that, I would just totally recommend, if you're here and you wrestle with anxiety or you know someone who does, and it is a real sort of issue in your life, I would 100% recommend talking with a counselor. Why? Because... Many times, anxiety has a root in a specific or several specific situations. So, I was talking to somebody who's been a counselor for 15 years, and they said, many times anxiety, you have to look at, she called it the precipitators, meaning, what are the factors that led to that? And that tends to be very specified based on your situation, all right? So, you, you know, get in a car accident, it was traumatic. After that, you're anxious about getting into a car. That would be a precipitator where you need to go back to that event and work through it. And a counselor can help with that. Um, but even, th so I'd say if this is an issue, make sure you talk to someone so they can get to the root of that. Um, nevertheless, there's some general principles that we can all work through that are all, I believe, helpful. Um, most people in the course of their life uh, will have one to two panic attacks at some time in their life. If that persists and it keeps happening, um, about 4% of people have what is known as panic disorder, where it just sort of keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps happening. Nevertheless, that idea of anxiety, it is widespread. If you're here and you wrestle with it, that you are certainly not alone. Um, I, I think anybody who went through 2020 and the ups and the downs and all that craziness wrestled with anxiety at some point in time. And so what I want to do, sort of laying those caveats, 
um, talk to a counselor, um, and hey, if, uh, just to be clear, I know there's been times that with mental health, the church has not played the role that it should play or has sort of come between doctors and pay, all, all that type of stuff. I would say 100%, if you need to take medicine for it, that is, there, there's no shame in that whatsoever, right? Sometimes in the church, we'll, we'll sort of push away from that. But if you break your leg, you're not going, no, I don't need a doctor. I need Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> like, they're the only ones that are going to. And, and sometimes with anxiety, man, there are real neurological imbalances, or you have an overactive amygdala that causes that fight-or-flight response all the time. That requires medicine to help with that. And so um, we are 100% in favor of that. Nevertheless, all those caveats given. I want to give us a few questions. When you experience anxiety, these are questions in my life that when I feel anxious, when I feel like, man, there's anxiety breathing down my neck, four questions that I ask myself just to evaluate where may this be coming from. And uh, this is where we're going to get real practical. All right? Number one. Here's question number one. When I feel anxious, I ask myself, am I exhausted? Um... If you know me, you know the idea of the relationship between rest and pace of life and all that is a real passion point of mine. Um, but I, this fact, I, I feel like this is absolutely mind-blowing. Before the invention of the, of the uh, light bulb by old Thomas Edison, old Tommy E, as I call him, but we're close like that, the average person slept 10 to 11 hours a night in America. <laughs> These daggone light bulbs, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> So now, for me, that's encouraging because I used to read these biographies of people, and they'd be like, yeah, they used to wake up and pray for like three hours. And it's like, yeah, of course they did because they didn't have anything you know, going on. Like, uh, they just slept for 10, 11 hours a night. But we have now, with the advent of technology, the advent of all this, what was supposed to fill our lives with more leisure time has, in fact, simply jam-packed our lives with more and more to do to the point that it's almost impossible to disconnect. There was a Senate commission in 1967 that was designed, that they were formed to predict what the American work week would look like by 1985. So 1967, a bunch of senators got together and they were trying to figure out what will the work week look like in America in 1985. They said by 1985, based on the rate of technology, only 20, you'll only work 22 hours a week. That'll be it, why? Technology's taken off, you know? And uh, it's just going to be this utopia. In fact, um, the average American today works four weeks more per year than we did in 1979. And what you see is, sociologically, as we've sped up and sped up and sped up, our pace of life has increased to the point that now there's almost no margin for processing. There's almost no margin. I, I, the things, as I said, that keep that should save us time actually put us in a place where we're so connected there's no chance to disconnect and so we're constantly moving there's no chance to process there's no chance to think no time to connect with God we're just moving so quickly and that I believe gives rise to anxiety so one of the things that I ask is am I exhausted is my schedule too full have I eaten anything have I slowed down am I taking care of my physical body have I slept in the Bible we see this in the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah, if you know his background, he was uh, one of arguably the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. And in the book of 1 Kings, he has this showdown with all these false prophets where they call out to their God and he alone calls out to Yahweh and fire comes down from heaven. And it's like this just incredible blow your mind victory. And the very next thing that happens 
is the queen who worshipped idols tells Elijah after this, I mean, mountaintop as good as could go victory. All-star record. The queen says, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah completely crumbles. Completely goes from this amazing spiritual victory to all of a sudden he's on the run terrified. It picks up. This is what it says. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. This is what you call a little double nap. <laughs> and the angel of the Lord, I love this, came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. The first thing that God did in ministering to Elijah is not, he didn't give him some pep talk, didn't, you know, send him a sermon on YouTube, didn't, uh, didn't sort of call in some spiritual mentors to sort of work through his Bible reading plan. The first thing that he did is he goes, you need a nap and you need to eat something. <laughs> he's, he's so anxious, he's going, just take my life because I can't keep doing this. And the first thing God goes is, you need to eat something because the journey is too much for you. Meaning that there's sometimes that we run ourselves so ragged, anxiety actually is our body's way of telling us you're moving way too fast. You're moving. I, I've heard pastors say, man, some of us, the most spiritual thing you could do is just take a nap. <laughs> Elijah took two of them. You could probably deal with one of them because we'll run and run and run until we're absolutely exhausted. So when it comes to me, this is sort of the question that comes first to mind because this is the one that tends to resonate with me the most. So for me, um, I, uh, every now and then I'll have um, this flare-up of heart palpitations. And uh, this happens every few years for me. I, um, actually, I'm just coming out of last couple months. It was sort of spiking and picking up again. And what it feels like, I don't know if anyone is, is familiar with this, it feels like your heart is skipping a beat. And so it'll be just sort of going around, and then I'll feel it miss, and then this next beat will be extra hard. And sometimes it will happen just a few times a day. Sometimes it'll happen dozens and dozens and dozens of times. It'll just keep going and keep going and keep going. And what will happen is I'll actually end up, it'll start sometimes in the middle of the night, and then I won't be able to get back to sleep because I keep feeling it happening over and over and over again. And so I've been to the cardiologist for this a number of times. They've run every test that you can possibly run, and uh, stress tests and EKGs and all of that, and they'll say, hey, there's nothing wrong structurally with your heart. You are stressed, and you need to sleep more. And so that's what happened this past time around. I went in just to get a checkup. <laughs> I was like, hey, that, ha that thing is happening with my heart again. He goes, uh, everything's all good. Your heart sounds fine. You just need to sleep more. There's a saying that we say frequently, the pastors here at the church, where we'll say, your body keeps score. Meaning, you can run as fast as you want, but eventually your body, my body, our bodies are keeping track of everything that we've gone through. Scientists have figured out that your amygdala, which is the part of your brain that controls a fight or flight response, is 60% more active if you are sleep deprived. 
which means that feeling, many times the amygdala is what causes panic attacks. It's 60% more active if you're sleep deprived. So sleep, rest, taking care of your body, it is a huge part of asking, man, where does this anxiety come from? So my first question for me is, am I sleeping? Am I eating? Am I taking care of myself? And if so, then we can move on to the next question. Number two, what is my intake? What is my intake? Meaning, what am I, not just what am I eating, what am I drinking, am I downing, you know, four monsters before bed? I don't know why I can't sleep. I don't know. Um, what is my intake emotionally, spiritually? What am I watching? What am I reading? What am I listening to? What is my intake? This is what the Apostle Paul says. Paul says to the book of Philippians, in the, to the church of Philippi, in the book of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. Let, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters. So he says, hey, don't be anxious, but here comes a follow-up. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's saying, what you fixate your mind on has a deep effect on your life. Um, the Bible teaches that you are not just a body, you are not just a soul, you are actually a body, a mind, and a spirit all sort of woven together. That's what makes you who you are. What that means is your and my brain is not just a hard drive that we can just put things on and then it doesn't affect anything. That what we spend our time consuming or looking at has a deep, deep impact on our soul. I was listening to one counselor talking and he was saying how he worked with a guy who had anxiety and he said, I, I went through the whole thing. He said, we were talking about getting out in nature, and we were talking about how to connect with God, and we were talking about, like they said, we're going through anything and everything. We're working for months. Nothing is changing. He said, fine. He said, the guy said, I'm having panic attacks every night before I go to bed. He's throwing everything out in the kitchen sink, and he finally goes, okay, um, what is your bedtime routine? And he goes, the guy legit goes, well, hey, I, you know, I brush my teeth or, you know, put my pajamas on or whatever. He goes, and then I watch a horror movie every night. And he goes, oh, my gosh. <laughs> he goes, do you think perhaps what you're watching is impacting your level of anxiety? And he goes, yeah, I think so. And so they ended up addressing that. And then he said they began, those panic attacks began to recede. That one for us is obvious. I think we fail, at least I fail, to think through the cumulative effect of everything we're listening to, talking about, things where our mind is occupying, how that affects us in the long term. So this is me personally, all right? Um, I love, I've told this before, I love true crime, okay? Love true crime. I love watching how people get murdered and then figuring out what's happening and trying to solve the case and all that type of stuff. I, I love that. Uh, however, there was a period a few years ago where I was spending so much time on, you know, Netflix and making of a murderer and that whole thing that I started to go, you know what's crazy? I just feel like uh, things have gotten a little dark. I feel like I'm seeing a little dark. I feel like, ah, uh, man, my demeanor is just off. I don't know what's going on. And then I thought, maybe it could be I'm watching murder for entertainment. Maybe that has something to do with it. So for me, what my mind dwells on, what your mind dwells on, affects our soul. So for me, I, that means I need to dial back. Hey, I love the serial podcast. At a certain point, I got to go. 
I got to think about what's pure, what's noble, because what I think about affects how I live. If you were to, this is just a little theoretical question, if you were to do a little bit of a budget, so we're familiar with budgets financially, but if you were to do a budget emotionally of what is being sort of your intake, what's being deposited in you, I think for the majority of us, myself certainly included, we would be blown away by how much we take in that actually takes our gaze off God and puts it on our problems and causes our anxiety to raise up. How, what, if you were to just say, hey, this is what I think about that's pure and noble and trustworthy and beautiful and true. Here's the things that draw me closer to God. Here's the things that fill me with peace and contrast that to, and here's everything else. I think for most of us, again, myself included, those scales would be tipped. And we'd realize, man, my intake is actually leading me. What I'm seeing, thinking, hearing, and spending my time consuming is actually leading me away from God, and it's giving rise to anxiety. Second question. Third question. Um, am I believing a lie or a half-truth? These are questions I ask myself. So here's what's really interesting. Um, there's a book called Rewire Your Anxious Brain, um, and that is written by doctors. That's not a Christian book. It's very sort of clinical in its approach to anxiety, and um, I think it's really helpful in the way it sort of breaks it down. But what they describe is there's sort of two neural pathways that can lead to anxiety, lead to a panic attack. One is your amygdala. That is fight or flight. That is um, two little pieces at the base of your skull. And that is if you, so what the amygdala does, let's say you get bit by a spider. You, uh, next time you see a spider, your heart rate goes up. You feel like, man, I got to get out of here. You don't have to think about it. That just happens. But there's another way that we can experience anxiety, and that goes through your cortex. Your cortex is the part of your brain that thinks, reasons, that's the cognitive part of your brain. And so um, this is like when, let's say you're going down the street, you see a fire truck go by. There's, most of us, we don't have a fear of fire trucks. Maybe you see that fire truck go by, and you go, oh, man, that's kind of going near my house. And, oh, shoot, man, uh, did I turn the stove off? And, oh, wait a second, what if it's going to my house? And then you end up sprinting back to your house because you're like, I left the stove on, only to realize you didn't leave the stove on. What happened there, it wasn't what you saw that made you feel anxious. It was your interpretation of it. That's the cortex. That's thinking through, hey, here's, here's, here's sensations that my body is giving me. How I interpret that either makes me feel anxious or not. And so here is where we say, it, what I'm seeing, what I'm thinking, am I believing a lie or am I believing a half-truth? Is what I'm thinking, that neural pathway, is it accurate? Is it based on God's truth? Or am I just sort of looking into the future and not believing something that is true? I'm believing a lie or I'm believing a half-truth. Things like this. I have to do this all on my own. I need to be in control. I'll never be good enough to be accepted. I don't have enough money. I'm not far enough along in life. I'm falling behind. All these things, all these lies, all these half-truths, it's looking into the future, whatever your future is, whatever makes you feel anxious, and you're projecting your future without God. You're projecting our future as if God is not a part of it. That's where we need to go, hey, am I believing the truth? Is this a lie? Is this a half-truth? Is there something in the middle? Here's where it gets really interesting for me is um, science is telling us more and more about the um, field of neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is the idea, 
actually the proven idea that we're learning about now, that what you think about can actually change the structure in your brain. This is where the old adage comes from, that neurons that fire together wire together. So what you think about, the more certain neurons fire together, the more you think a certain way, the more that becomes like a highway in your brain. This is why things become so addictive. This is why it's difficult to break bad habits. Why? Because those neurons are wired together, and so they just sort of cut these pathways that literally changes the physical structure of your brain. It's incredible. The good news is, because that can happen, that also means that by thinking intentionally, you can change it back the other way. What that means is, the way we, if we guide our thoughts, we can change. If we don't like the way we're thinking, if we don't like that pathway, if we don't like how this leads, you can think differently and in so doing, create new neural pathways. Does that make sense? You know what I'm talking about. Just Hector. Hector's the only one who's with me on this. Here's where this lines up with the Bible. Scientists are teaching us more and more about how what you think affects how your brain is structured, and then your brain reinforces that, which makes you think more like that. Meaning, if you think, man, every time I get in this this situation, I start to feel anxious and I'm going to freak out, what that happens is, what's happening is those pathways are being connected, but there's a way to change that. This is where it lines up with Scripture. Is the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Here we go. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's Paul saying? That though you have a new spirit in Jesus, though he's come inside of us, and now we have his Holy Spirit, there's something that happens that now our mind is in the process of being renewed, which means it's the Christian's responsibility to think differently. Paul again says in the book of Corinthians, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What he's saying is we don't just let our mind wander. We don't just sort of, whatever thought comes into our mind, we just go with it. We're actually in the process with Jesus' power and his strength of changing how we think to go, hey, that thought is a lie and I'm not entertaining that anymore. I'm going to think differently. That idea that just because this happened, now I have to be anxious because of that, that is a lie and I'm not entertaining that anymore. It's the process of going, hey, just because I've thought like that in the past doesn't mean I need to think like that in the future. Just because uh, in the past when I look at my budget, when I look at my finances, man, that causes me to feel anxious and then it makes me, then I sort of compulsively spend to try to feel better and then I end up in a worse place. Just because I've done that in the past doesn't mean I need to do that right now. Why? Because with God's spirit, I can create new neural pathways. Just because in the past, this situation has led to me feeling anxious doesn't mean that it has to always happen like that. I can renew my mind. I will take every thought captive and examine it to go, is this true? Is this a lie? And how do I change my life in light of this? And so, um, Andrew Dealey, who is the, uh, he is the head of counseling for the Gospel Coalition, he makes the point that that is why this idea of neural plasticity and making new pathways, this is why simply avoiding anxiety triggers many times is actually not helpful. Because if, you just, if we just avoid something that makes us anxious all the time, what happens is that pathway just gets strengthened or it doesn't change at all. So like let's say I'm in a car accident and then all, after that, man, I'm really afraid to get into my car. 
if I just avoid cars the rest of, of my life, that'll never go away. When what neuroscience will tell us, so that book, Rewire Your Anxious Brain, what they would say is, when you feel anxious, that's actually your sign, that's actually the opportunity that that part of your brain is activated and you can create a new path. What does that look like? That looks like going, hey, when I look at my budget and I start to get stressed out, and I start to feel like, man, I'm not sure if, I'm, if I have enough. And actually, that makes me feel like I'm behind in life. And actually, that makes me feel really stressed out. And now I can't sleep at night because my mind is running on that that whole time. And so I, instead of going down that pathway of progressively spending and all that type of stuff, we can start right there and go, I, I, because I feel anxious, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to trust God. I'm going to cut a new neural pathway. Though in the past, I haven't thought like that. I'm going to begin to lay some new groundwork here. And I'm going to start to cut a new path. I'm going to start to think differently. What does that look like? That looks like, man, memorizing scripture that pertain to that situation. That looks like getting around people who know you, love you, love Jesus, and can help you think differently. That looks like being intentional to know, I, just because I've thought like that in the past doesn't mean I need to think like that right now. And the science has proven when we feel anxious, if we don't run away, that's what they've said, if you don't run away, if you stay in the moment, that's actually the opportunity to teach your brain, we don't have to freak out right now. This is a new pathway. We're laying down. New neurons are firing together, and God is renewing my mind. So, but that starts by going, is this a lie? Is this truth? And recognizing, okay, I believed a lie. It's time to cut a new path. Um, with that, I think it's really important to know, again, this is Andrew Dealey who said, the Bible never tells us, this is so liberating to me, the Bible never tells us how to feel when it comes to anxiety. It tells us what to do. This is what I mean by that. This is what it says in Philippians. Don't be anxious about anything, okay? But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So here's what he didn't do. He didn't go, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, feel peaceful, just go feel peaceful. That's it. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, just be tranquil and calm. No, actually what he says is don't be anxious, but instead do this. Take those requests to God. And then he goes on to say, think about things that are pure. Here's why this is liberating for me. Because I don't know about you, it's really hard to control how I'm feeling in any particular moment. It's much more liberating for God to say, hey, I'm not telling you how to feel. I'm telling you what to do in response to what I'm, what my, the truth that I'm giving you. I'm not telling you, hey, just go feel peaceful. Just go do that. Don't feel anxious. What I'm telling you is here's how to live. Though you feel anxious, here's how you live in response to that. Perfect, perfect uh, uh, example of this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you're familiar with the story, it's right before Jesus goes to the cross. He's anticipating dying. He's praying. He's sweating like great drops of blood. I mean, he is, from all accounts, if you were just an outsider looking in, you would go, hey, I think he's experiencing anxiety. <laughs> I think he's worried. I think he's fearful. Why? Because not only is he about to die this horrific death, but for the first time in eternity, he's about to be separated from God the Father. So here he is. He's in the throes of anxiety, praying, if there's any other way, take this from me. And then at the end he goes, but not my will be done but yours. And he gets up and he goes to the cross. And what that means for you and I is that though we may, it, I would say it's probably impossible not to experience anxiety. We're all going to feel it from one time to another. Though it's impossible not to experience anxiety, you don't have to, it is possible to not be controlled by it. 
that Jesus in that moment of, man, inner, inner turmoil and fear and wor- all of that welling up, he can still go, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will. That means for you and I, God doesn't tell us how to feel. He does tell us what to do in response to the truth that he's given us. And that's how we cut new pathways. Not giving in to the fear, but recognizing I am anxious, but I'm going to make a decision to trust God in this moment. And through that, I'm going to create a new pathway. Through that, I'm going to walk this out. Through that, I'm going to trust God in this moment. Um, Lastly, here's the last question. What is God teaching me through weakness? We don't like to talk about weakness in the Christian church, at least the American Christian church. We like the idea that um, God is here to uh, uh, really come alongside and accomplish your agenda and uh, whatever is bigger and better for you. That's what God is here to do. But in fact, one of the primary ways God uses us is through our own weaknesses. Um, if you're here and you wrestle with anxiety, I just want you to know, man, that, that should never make you feel less than, make you feel like, I guess that means I'm doing something wrong, makes you feel like, I guess I can't be a Christian if I'm anxious. Some of the greatest Christians in the history of the church wrestled with anxiety and depression. People like Mother Teresa, people like Charles Spurgeon, who was known as the Prince of Preachers, would have these bouts of depression and anxiety and all that. All that to say, just because you wrestle with it doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian, you're doing anything wrong. Yeah, those questions are important to ask, but sometimes it's through our weakness. And if it's not anxiety or depression, maybe it's, uh, uh, maybe it's a financial weakness or maybe it's a physical weakness or maybe it's whatever your weakness is, maybe that's actually God's way that he wants to shine brightest through you. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Paul says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, Why would Paul become conceited? Because he was apostle, because he performed miracles, because he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Like, he had reason to be conceited. He says, therefore, to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. We don't know what this is. All we know is that it was something that, that, that derailed Paul. It was a struggle. It was a difficulty. It was either a health concern. We don't know exactly what it was. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. This is the Apostle Paul saying, hey, I think I could write more Bible if you take this away from me, please. Hey, I think there could be like a third Corinthians if you take this away from me, please. God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul says, please take this away. And God says, actually... I want to shine through your weakness. Actually, Paul, in your weakness, I'm going to show myself strong. That's how this is going to work. And then he goes on to say in another part of Corinthians, he says, we, if you're a Christian here, this applies to you, he says, we have this treasure but in jars of clay. So to show that the all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us. What's he saying? What's he saying is we have this treasure But we're not the treasure. The treasure is the gospel. The treasure is the relationship with Jesus. He says, but to show that this treasure is amazing, God has put it in jars of clay. That's you and I. Frail, weak, here one day, gone the next day. To show the treasure is actually what really matters. The jars of clay are just the way that it goes. They're just the way that it gets to other people. Here's what I mean by that. Um, 
So this, I used this analogy a long time ago. This is OG Lighthouse, all right? So I brought this out of the, I brought this out of the prop jar. So this is a jar, and I think this is how many of us feel from time to time. Certain temptations, certain weaknesses, maybe anxiety is a big part of that. Maybe we're fearful. Maybe we don't feel quite equipped enough. Maybe we look on Instagram or we look at other people, and they just seem to have it together so much more. And so we feel like a jar of clay, but, man, we feel like we got cracks all in us. We feel like there's chips and scuffs and dings and things that are broken. And the question that would be is, man, how could God show himself through me? That's what I want to do. If, uh, if we could turn the lights off just for a second. There we go. All right. Now take the wallet of the person sitting next to you. No, I'm just kidding. This is what I mean. <laughs> this is a little bit cheesy, but I hope you get my point. It's through the brokenness, and it's through the cracks, and it's through the dings, and it's through the scuffs, and it's through the scratches that the light actually shines through. In the same way, when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, Paul says, it's through your weakness that I'm going to show myself strongest. It's through the thing that, man, you feel like if I, just, if I just didn't have that weakness, if I didn't have that temptation, if I wasn't anxious, if I didn't wrestle with depression, if I didn't experience that difficulty, man, I, God would see people, people would see God through me so much clearer. Actually, what Paul says, what God says to Paul is, Paul, it's your weakness that people are going to see me through. People are going to see you're the jar and I'm the treasure. Can we, turn, we can turn the lights back on now. <laughs> We're not going to do trick-or-treating or anything like that. When it comes to anxiety, man, some of us asking those questions, is it going to minimize it? Some of us, um, the fact of the matter is that just might be something we wrestle with. That might be your thorn in the flesh. Maybe it's a neurological thing. Maybe it's a biological thing. Maybe it's something like that. And hear me, if it's not that weakness, it'll be another weakness. If it's not anxiety, it will be something else. And our temptation is to go, let me just pretend, if I can't be strong, let me pretend to be strong. Meanwhile, God's going, your greatest opportunity to tell people about me is the thing you're trying to cover up. You're great. The way I want to shine through brightest is the crack, it's the scuff, it's the ding. That's where people say, oh, she's the jar. Oh, he's the jar. God is the treasure. So what could God be teaching us through weakness? Just one small thing to close. And this is, this is just a quick example. Um, as I was having those heart palpitations over the last few months, um, it really led me to a place that I haven't been very often, which is uh, the way I typically fix things, the way I, I sort of try to operate in strength is uh, let me get through it. Let me just sort of try harder. Let me get up earlier. Let me just chug a big old cup of coffee, get a bunch of stuff done, and that's how I'll get through this. Here's the problem with that. When your heart is skipping beats, getting up early actually makes it worse. <laughs> when your heart is skipping beats because you're stressed out and not sleeping, drinking a big old cup of coffee actually makes it worse. So I found myself in this place where all my typical ways of let me just power through this and get through this and let me just get more done and let me just get all of that no longer worked. And so I had to come to a place where I go, actually, you know what? What if I allowed God to shine through my weakness? What if instead of just trying to power through and put on a brave faith, what if I actually relied on him in a way I never had before? What if I actually prayed like I needed him to come through rather than I just want him to bless the plans I'm going to do anyway? What if I allowed my weakness 
to be the thing that God shined through most clearly. And when it comes to us with anxiety, depression, whatever your issue is, what if you allowed God to shine through your weakness? I know that's easier said than done. But this is why that idea of renewing your mind, taking captive every thought, cutting new pathways is so prominent and so important.